Hello and welcome to Dive In. I'm your host, Trent Dolman. Today's episode, we'll be talking to Bob Wong. Bob Wong is a practitioner of Chinese medicine or acupuncture, practicing out of Brisbane, Australia. We'll be talking about topics of upbringing briefly in the USA, education in China and immigration to Australia. Bob's going to share where he's been, where he's gone and now where he is. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to my clinic, Bob. Uh, for everyone listening, uh, Bob Wong was originally my lecturer, uh, friend, and now colleague, I hope. Um, Bob, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, we are having a great week. We have a kitchen again after eight weeks, so very, very happy. Uh, today, we're going to have Bob on the show, and he's going to be talking about his past, um, a few things he studied and went through growing up. Uh, moving to Australia and what he does now for a profession. So, Bob, uh, would you like to take us back to where it all began? So, where'd where? you grow up? Uh, so, I am the child of a typical immigrant story. So, my parents are from Asia. My dad's from China. He grew up during the Cultural Revolution and he fled China during probably the 60s, late 60s, 70s uh, to Hong Kong. My mom's from Vietnam. She's Chinese as well, but a lot of Chinese people immigrated to Vietnam. She fled during the Vietnam War. So they both immigrated there and uh, they met in English school. They were oh, both learning cool. English. And um, yeah, they, they had me. So I was born in 81. So during in Chicago. So that's how pretty much how I was born, where I came from, grew up in the States and uh, studied in China after undergraduate because I didn't really know what I was doing with my life. So my dad's like, okay, do Chinese medicine. <laughs> yeah. So ended up uh, moving over there and then I actually fell in love with it. And afterward I met my wife, she's from South Korea. So we both hate the cold and we just ended up saying, hey, what's the nicest place we can live? That's a Western country that's close to Asia. And we just thought, oh, Australia. It's a pretty big Pretty big block of land yeah. down here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Bob, taking back to uh, Chicago, um, it looks like a great place on all the movies I watch. Tell me a bit about what's it like growing up in the streets of Chicago. Streets of Chicago. That's it's. It does look. Looking back, if you didn't grow up there, because you're watching all the <laughs> Batman movies yeah. and um, a lot of quite a few movies. The background is from the ar architecture is one of the main things yeah, that I love it. Chicago is yeah. known for. Beautiful. Uh, but Chicago itself, depending on where you grew up and how you grew up. I mean, I've had friends that that love Chicago. My friend grew up in the north side of Chicago, which is more like is that the musical. Um, that it's more like the yuppie area. Yep. So he grew up in a rich Jewish neighborhood. So for him, he's like, dude, I love Chicago. What are you talking about? <laughs> I grew up in a different Chicago, like Southside Chicago, uh, Bridgeport, Chinatown area. So Chicago is a very interesting city in that it's very segregated. So if you're in Chinatown, you definitely know you're in Chinatown. You, if you're in Greektown, you definitely know you're in Greektown. Whereas like in, in New York, I've heard, I've never been, but I've heard that when you're in New York, it's kind of like an analogy of everything. Yep. Uh, Chicago is very, quite the opposite of it. It's very, very segregated. Yep. So if you're in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time, like you're not getting out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so obviously being, we were one of the first Chinese families to move into Bridgeport, which is directly out because Chinatown just got to that boiling point where there was too many immigrants and Chinese people couldn't buy any houses anymore. So okay. they started moving out, expanding into kind of like, lack of a better term, we pretty much moved into a white trash neighborhood. So Ipswich. <laughs> I guess, yeah. So, I guess, sorry, yeah, Ipswichians. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, growing up, obviously being the first Chinese family, uh, there's a lot of getting beaten up, getting chased. Um, I was right next to the projects. So we, we'd have to walk a mile, which is like 1.2 kilometers. Like yeah. every day would be like, you fear for your life pretty yeah. much. It's like rocks, bottles thrown at us sometimes. And I, I knew from a very young age, I just wanted to get out. I didn't want to be there anymore. So... Uh, I always knew in the back of my mind I wouldn't stay in Chicago. I would, but I never really imagined being in Australia. Yeah. But Chicago itself, it's a great, it's a great city. Um, it's known for jazz, food, great food, um, music. Yeah. Food is taste of Chicago every year. It's great. I'd say for me, at where I'm at in my life, where I have a family, uh, I just want to be safe and. It's not, not, yeah, Brisbane's not, the best. Not, yeah. Brisbane's the best. <laughs> so, um, uh, so high school you finished in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, did you do any post grad study in Chicago before going to China? 
Uh, finished high school, went to the University of Illinois, did a bachelor's in economics. So oh, that would have so, been fun. <laughs> I mean, it was just at that point where I, I didn't know. I really, yeah. literally didn't know what I was yeah. doing with my life. It's so like a Bachelor of Arts or, yeah. or, or business yeah. is yeah. sort of like a, yeah. just a, an easy choice. There's yeah. going to be a job for it, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I just did it to, to satisfy the, the, the Asian parent quota. Like, I don't yeah. care what you do, just just graduate college. It's, it's a, a typical, uh, a lot of immigrants, especially Asian immigrant families, uh, Chinese parents in particular, they don't really know what school is good or not. They just go by what other people say Tell in the them, neighborhood. Yeah. So it's like in, in no bias at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so like in high school it was the, the, the school was that the school to test into was Whitney young. So Asian parents didn't had no idea what any of the schools or any of the, they didn't even know what Whitney young was. They were just like, I don't care what you do. Just test into Whitney young. So yeah. when I didn't test in there, they were like disappointed. And then <laughs> when I didn't test in the university of Illinois at Champaign, cause there's two universities in, Illinois. One is U- University of Illinois, Chicago, University of Illinois, Urbana. Urbana is the number top three engineering yep. colleges in, in America. Oh, wow. So when I didn't test into that one, that was, oh, that's another disappointment. <laughs> so pretty much at that point, like, okay, this it's old- just telling up on the fridge. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I was just like the throwaway son because my brother, my younger brother, who's a physio now, he was like the golden child. Yep. I was the black sheep. So I was like, okay, well, this one just kind of just give up on him and do whatever. Uh, and, uh, at that point I just studied university in the university. I just did, uh, an undergrad in econ economics. Yeah, is it, so undergrad was still three years like over here or undergrad's four, four. Okay. Yeah. So that's so, still a lot of study. For me, for, 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 <laughs> like, me, for me, it was five cause I wasn't that smart. So five and a half. So, so you finished that. So you would have been 23, 24, 24. And then how did, and this is where, cause We've spoken about before, and you, you, Bob's got some amazing, amazing pictures. We we'll put some links up of his uh, Tai Chi outfit as well. Um, where did the um, idea to go to China? Was this originally to test martial arts? Yes. So, so talk, talk me through that. How did that? How did that conversation go with the dad? Well, that goes back. To, <laughs> that goes back up to goes back to growing up in Chicago, getting picked on and beat up all yeah, the time. Yeah. So, as a kid, like, yeah, you had these like Bruce Lee movies. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to do what he's doing. Yeah. And um, from you know, because growing up as an Asian male, there were no role models like yeah. Captain America, Thor. There's no yeah. one that kind of looked like me, or, or uh, and, and and even now, it's like, oh, Jackie Chan doesn't really speak English. <laughs> so, so like you know, Bruce Lee. You, you know, every kid wanted to be Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah, and they still do. Yeah, and they yeah. still do. Which is amazing. Like yeah. he died. What seventy something? Yeah, it was thirty two. I think thirty one, thirty two. He was a young man. Yeah, yeah. He died in the seventies, and I was like ten year old kid disappointed. Like, he died. Like, what are you talking about? He yeah, died. Like, yeah. how could he die? He's invincible. And then all, all the rumors came out. He overtrained. And it was yeah. Dead. And all it ended up being, I think, was uh, um, an allergic reaction to antibiotics or something like that. Oh, was it? I thought yeah, I heard it. They was... gave him like a medication, and he went to sleep and just sort of something. Like, yeah, I heard it was like cannabis or, or medical something or they, they slipped him a pill and then death by misadventure that's what i heard i don't know <laughs> there's so many crazy stories out there <laughs> but. so um so yeah so the idea growing up chicago uh martial arts and we're gonna go study this in china so- yeah so at the time i was going through this phase where i was really into this uh martial arts chinese martial arts called wushu taolu which is pretty much like it's kind of like gymnastic routines where you do like jumps and flips and yep. things and that was like Oh, I was like, I want to do this. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I just want to do it. So that was my obsession. And it just so happened that I was saving up. I was working part-time, saved all my money up to um, to travel to China. And my dad's like, well, you're going to China, right? And we just, can, he would just, when he was alive, he would always just, every night he'd come in my room, like, hey, you got to do something with your life. Hey, you your Chinese medicine. Hey, I'm like, dad, leave me alone. And we just get into the arguments over and over again, at least once a month, at least. Rep- repetition makes an impact. Yeah. <laughs> So we, we just got to that boiling point and he was like, okay, why don't you do this? Why don't you study in China and you can do your Kung Fu thing. So, but before you go, uh, I, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for the study. You just study with my teacher in China. Uh, and if you don't like it, it's cool. We never have to have the conversation again. So, and, so in context for everyone, um, just give a quick brief. Your dad is a, was a Chinese medical practitioner. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He was, uh, he used to practice Chinese medicine. He learned from my grandfather, so my grandfather was kind of like in the, the village Chinese medicine doctor. Every Asian person has a village yeah. uh, relative that does Chinese medicine. Yeah, yeah. So for my dad, his dad was the Chinese medicine guy in the village. 
and he was really uh, more a herbalist. So yep. he did mostly herbs, and every morning he'd wake up, he'd have his cup of tea, and then patients would be around, lined up around the house. And so that was kind of ingrained in him. And then when the Cultural Revolution happened, uh, pretty much for those people that don't know what the Cultural Revolution is, so Mao Zedong was... Um, the guy that took over the country. And this he was 1950, was that the... Uh, I'd say 60. It was, but 50, post, 60s, post-World yeah. War Two was the, yeah. the start of this, Yeah, right? post-World the War Two. burnings and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, yeah, yeah <laughs> kneeling on glass, being purged, things like that. Yeah, so he was all part of that. So he... Grew, Shouldn't laugh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true though. It's kind of crazy, but just a generation before that. So pretty much Mao Zedong, he was like, okay, you guys, everyone in the city, your life is too good. You need to know what it's like to be... Yeah. In the trenches, literally. So yeah. he sent all, everyone had to, kind of like Mulan, like you had to send every, every male, like he had a son or whatever sons you had, you had to send them to the farms to do work. So since my grandfather was a village doc, Chinese medicine doctor, he said, okay, you're going to be, because you're the son, you're going to be the the farm yeah. Chinese medicine doctor. And he was like probably 18 years old and he had nothing to do. So all of a sudden he's in charge of 2000 people. Yeah, wow. So it's a good client list. It, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's a great referral list, Mao Zedong. And so he he'd be so stressed because he had literally less than. So back then they literally had no training because there were no supplies or anything. So he made no training. He'd he'd sterilize things with uh, a homemade like just one pan, some water, and that's how you'd sterilize things. Like that's pretty much how it did. And boil it off. Boil it off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty much. And then as he said, he just got to the point where. He would just have to hide. He, he would climb on top of a tree just to hide away from patients because he just like couldn't, <laughs> couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> so it's a good he, sight to see you, doctor. <laughs> yeah. So he ended up um, he ended up fleeing from China and he swam. I think he swam probably like eight hours from the Shenzhen River. This your dad? To Hong Kong, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so it was a 10 mile. It was kind of like the ultimate air triathlon like you walk barefoot real, real uh, girls yeah <laughs> so what he did was he pretty much he snuck away and uh he, with with another buddy of his and they climbed the mountains barefoot for about 10 days from that village to the Shenzhen river and then once they got to the river they swam eight yeah, hours wow. so he was still swimming he didn't know he was hong kong he just got picked up by the post guard coast guard um and i asked him i asked him later actually i was like dad how did you swim eight hours like that's that's crazy he's like oh you, you train for that i'm like oh how do you train so he would train when everyone else was asleep at night so he'd swim like an hour a night sort of thing yeah like, yeah, it's, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so, well. so, so he, at least he did it in a smart way he didn't just decide yeah. he was gonna swim eight <laughs> hours I'll just give this a go yeah I about, like <laughs> there's got to be some methodology for that like how do you swim eight hours like uh, you know, because professional athletes don't even do that, right? Like, yeah. So he's like, oh, you just swim a couple hours a night while everyone's sleeping. I'm like, well, how did you know you were headed? Because it's pitch dark. Yeah. There's nothing but water and shark infested waters. I'm like, well, how did you know which way you're going? He's like, so he had his own like old school. Um, like the crystal compass sort of thing. And he just took a rock or a magnet rock and he rubbed um, a stick or a piece of metal. And that's how he knew he was heading toward that direction. It was yeah. like literally like, I was like, dude, this is like caveman stuff. Yeah. How did you know? <laughs> I don't know how. They just made did what what they you had to do so, what you gotta do right yeah so a lot of people died actually from 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 that um from that journey like either you get chased down get bit by dogs when the when they send the red armory after you yeah or they would either drown or get eaten up by sharks really yeah wow well. <laughs> so but but he at that point he was like well nothing to lose literally yeah. nothing to lose so everyone's starving anyway so so that's how he ended up in hong kong and then eventually immigrated to to chicago yeah wow well, that's that's a story yeah so for him to go through that and then send you back there. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, for him to go through that and be like, okay, my dad, my son's got to make something of his life. And, yeah. And, and then, and, uh, yeah, it'd be ridiculous. But in my mind, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking like, dude, he you he loves me that little. He was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you literally like, you know, and that's what my, even my friends were like, dude, did you know our parents literally almost killed God, you know, died <laughs> escaping. And you're thinking about, going back i'm like dude it's different now you know it's got <laughs> they've got kung fu you know i want to learn this stuff you know? <laughs> um so uh you when you went back to china what, how did what, what happened you set up base and just started doing martial arts or started learning in martial arts or i spent the first three months training um it, it, was, in, it was it was interesting because like over here there's not there's a lot more structure there's things like that but like back in even 2000 three when i was there pretty much my dad made a phone call he called his teacher that worked in the hospital because by then china was 
developing. It's still developed. It's pretty developed, still developing now. But back then, um, 2003, he just made a phone call and you showed up and they'd be like, hey, this is my friend. And then I, I go to the office, pay my tuition fee. And then I just like show up with a yeah. white coat. And all of a sudden I was a doctor. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I just started. <laughs> so I was in the 29 department, which is massage. And then his, his teacher was just like, okay, just follow me. And it's followed him for three, for the, for the just next sort three of months. shadowed. Yeah. Yeah. Shadowed him for the next three months. And, and so I don't know if it back then it was, but now it's so expensive to do that. It's like nine grand for like three months. So, uh, Oh yeah. Because I, yeah. I looked at, cause the yeah. guy I studied with, um, acupuncture, uh, he did his masters of herb in, in China. I forget the name of the place, but, and he's got like albums of books and he's got diaries and diaries every day. You just walk around, you write down everything. The, the doctor that you're following around writes down and every herb and every recipe. And yeah. these guys just do maths of grams off the top of the head. Like this guy's got the same cold as this guy, but he's gives him a different dose and it's so impressive. And I was like, oh, that's fun. Endeavor doesn't do that anymore. I'll go find a way to do it. It's like $9,000 for three months and you don't get anything. It's just the experience of, yeah. of doing it. Well, I mean, I, I think also I, I've been, I was the, the, I, the only time is when being Asian. At, it's advantageous. With, advantage yeah. Yeah. I have like, I literally fit in under the radar. Yeah. So when I come in, it's really I guess funny. I'll stand out a little bit. It's a really funny, <laughs> funny story. So we called and he's like, okay, well, we, his his um his teacher was okay. We had two ways to do this. You can either pay in under your American passport, or we just or you just say you're uh, uh do you have a Chinese passport? I'm like no. And then we're talking about it. My relatives I'm like, and one of my cousins he was like, I can fix that. <laughs> <laughs> so we had this, literally like this fake <laughs> Chinese ID. Oh wow! So for two months I studied there under under like a Chinese driver's license. Yeah yeah wow. And and like they're like whatever. And then no one really knew until one of the nurses heard me speaking English, and they're like. This guy's not Chinese. <laughs> so I got called into the office and then we had a chat and she was like, you're an American citizen, are you? She's like, yep. I'm like, yep. I was like, okay, here's the American rates. <laughs> so for the first two months, I got away with it. But the third month, every month after the third month. The Western got, tax. Yeah, the Western tax. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And they tell you half the ideas, half the half the planning. Well, uh that that is the the thing is I did I grew up speaking Cantonese so I do understand yeah, everything yeah. well not everything but I'd say I was kind of at like a, a middle school level Chinese so I can I kind of understood and I picked up a few things it was just kind of like a like a basic understanding yeah. of things yeah. and um so how long did you I guess, I guess so how did we I think you've told me um how you stopped pursuing martial arts or something your instructor said to you. Um, but how did you make the decision to stop like being a professional martial artist and go, I'm going to do Chinese medicine? Uh, that's an interesting story. Yeah. Cause after I finished up my training, I was just, uh, uh cause it was just getting too much, like yeah. just too intense. Like at the hospital, I was like, okay, I think I've, 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 I've given it three months. It was a really fun experience. I've satisfied my quota and I'm just going to go. So I moved from Southern China in Guangzhou to Northern China, which yeah. is where, um, one of my old coaches were. And, uh, I started training over there so he, he, and I knew some friends and they introduced me a place. I started training and one day the coach, she, she heard her back and she's like, Oh, you, you're a Chinese medicine doctor. I'm not a Chinese medicine doctor. <laughs> he's like, Oh no, no, you can do it. You know, you can do it. Just, just do something. And I, I, I used what I learned in the yep. hospital. Uh, we did a bit of cupping. We did a bit of twina. We even did some acupuncture and like totally not legit. So <laughs> And I just kind of like did it. And cause she threw out her back. She's like, I'm like, you need to go to the hospital. She's like, I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't got money to go to the hospital. I'm like, you could do something. And I was like, you know, I just gave it, gave, give it, a give it a go. Yeah. yeah. Give it a crack. Uh, the next morning I wasn't expecting anything, but the next morning she woke up, she was walking again. She was like, Oh my God, you feel great. This is great. You know, like your Kung Fu sucks, but, <laughs> but you're, you were meant for this. Thanks teacher. <laughs> yeah. But, but literally she was like, you were meant for this, not for this. Like she, you know, she, she was, she didn't hold back. <laughs> Well, the two t sort of have always gone hand in hand, right? Like, so you see like uh, Chinese medical practitioners, a lot will start off as a Kung Fu or Kung Fu artist, and then they transition into the medical side because they get to that. And some go the other way. Some start off with a, so they're all, they're like the yin and yang of the understanding the body and how it moves and then treating it. Yeah. So, which I think is pretty cool. It's always nice to see a practitioner. Like if you guys can't see Bob, but he's fit and healthy and lean. It's always nice to see a practitioner that is of health when they're offering you advice of health. I think that's important. So 
Oh, you gotta walk the talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta walk the talk. You yeah, you I mean, I'll, I'll have my cheat days, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but most of the days, I'm I pretty try to stay healthy. Yeah, because because nothing's worth coming in and someone giving you back advice and they can't bend down and touch the ground or pick something off the ground themselves. So I think that's a a good thing to go through at the same time as well. So um, she gave you those words of wisdom, and what did you do with them? Uh it was a very interesting time because right after that happened, uh, I actually had a an ex girlfriend. She was in oh, medical school, mm-hmm. and I was at that point where. And you hate her, right? Just in case your wife's listening. Yeah, hate exactly. Her, despise her. her. Worst her. person ever. Got you. Yep. Well, <laughs> well, things fall apart really quickly because we're doing the long distance relationship yeah. thing. And she was in medical school, and I had told her, oh, "I'll be back in six months." And like eight months down the line, she's like, "Where are you?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, no, I love this place. I'm never gonna leave." And she she just broke up with me. Oh, so she was still in Chicago. Yeah, she was in uh, Chicago. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so she broke up with me, and I was like, "No, you know, take me back." So I like bought the first plane oh, ticket no. I could back to Chicago, <laughs> um, which which I think it all it was all meant to be because the gym that I was training at, um, it was getting demolished. Yep, and it was pretty much the end of that gym anyway. So the coach, I don't know, she ended up going back to university teaching there anyway. So the whole the whole team fell apart. Everything like kind of fell apart, and it was time for me to go anyway. So I was like, "All right, I got to go back." So yeah, and she ended up not taking me back anyway, got really depressed. Um, and I think my dad secretly took advantage of that. So he was like, <laughs> okay, well, she's not taking you back anyway. And um, it's a funny story because she's, um, she, she, used to, she was Taiwanese. Yep. And for some reason, like in my mind, I had, I didn't know this, but there was a diff- there's a difference between Chinese people and Taiwanese people. Yeah. So anyone that's Chinese they and Taiwanese, they like kind of separate themselves. They're like, oh, we're not Chinese, we're Taiwanese. And for me, like as an American born Chinese person, I had no idea what the yeah. difference is. Chinese people, just Chinese people. I can't tell the difference. Yeah. But for them, it's different because they feel like, okay, well, Bob's parents are probably communists. So we can't associate with them or they're Chinese. We can't. And then that was like, that was like a, one of the main like, um, wedge, wedge. Yeah. So her mom refused to meet me and it was like, it was doomed from the beginning. Yeah. So you're the, you're the boyfriend she had before she met the one she married. Literally, yeah, that's what the, happened. You're the yeah, rebellious yeah. boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think she married a dentist like a year or something later and yeah. they're happily married. I'm probably happy. I'm, I'm happy for them. It didn't work out for her, work out for me. But that's literally what happened. She got married a year later. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, the, it's like the plot of every movie. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Movies are true, right? <laughs> so she, um, yeah, she wouldn't take me back. And my dad was like, okay, well, she's not going to take you back. Why don't you just go back to China and study full time, like for real this time? Do it properly. They do it properly. So he, he said, okay, he laid out a game plan for me. And I just went back and forth. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not doing anything with my life anyway. So um, took the plunge, jumped, and he, you know, his game plan was, okay, you're going to study Chinese for two years, learn how to read and write, and then you're going to take the language exam and test into the University of Chinese Medicine in, in Guangzhou. So I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. Nothing to lose, right? Yeah. My friends are all graduating, they're all making money, and I knew from the beginning I didn't want to do anything in economics anyway. And you're so like 25 now? 25, yeah, at the time. Yeah. And so moved there, landed, studied Chinese for two years, tested into the university and I don't advise anyone thinking about studying in China to do that because it's like that test is barely the bare minimum to get in. That yeah. doesn't mean you're, yeah. you're qualified or you're, you're smart enough to do that. Cause it's like pretty much trying to go through medical school on a third grade reading level. Yeah. Well, that'd be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I spent, cause there were no apps, there were no translation things. So it was just old school dictionary. So I'd spend literally half my day searching every single word in the textbook. So is this still it. Cantonese? Uh, Mandarin. Uh, so yeah. that's why the, it was, yeah, I got, yeah, it makes sense. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cantonese, it's like Cantonese and Mandarin. Mandarin's a national language. Yeah. I would say it's the comparison between Spanish and Portuguese. Yeah. So you can, yeah. you can understand a little bit, but yeah. you can't really make a whole sentence. No, no. you get the, yeah. you get the gist. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. you know what's going on, but you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah. I had spent a lot of time translating everything. Yeah, well. So I got lucky that uh, a year into, because I was thinking about dropping out because the exams, I was like, there's no way I can pass this. It's just not going to happen. Like I can barely pass it in my own language. Yeah. So my second year in, uh, they fortunately they made a, a, a an all English program. Yes. <laughs> when? <laughs> so right away, transferred over. And then it um, ended up, being that it gave me free time where I can go still go to the Chinese classes because the English classes, they were kind of a breeze. Yeah. It was very simplified. And then the teachers themselves, they didn't know English. So they, they were like, 
You were taking the class. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I would just show up to class. I'd probably just show up to take the exam yeah. in English, but then I sh- kept showing up to the Chinese classes to be like, okay, cool. That gives me time to really digest it. And, Which is and a good skill to have because mm. like all, all the herbs and a lot of the translation, the books and stuff, they're other people's take on translation. And, yeah. it, and it doesn't always seem to line up when, you, when, well, when I have a conversation with someone about something to do with my Chinese medicine textbook and they're like, doesn't mean that. That's just what Harry decided it meant to him, sort of thing. Like, I guess chi and things like those are big yeah. ones when they're translated as well. So, that's, yeah, it's that's, very, it's very hard to, yeah. to translate over. Yeah. Some things are just they just aren't translations. They're just Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's cool. Um, so you got into the university. This one is another four year degree or three year degree. This or? one was five. Wow, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, to- all up eight years. Yeah, yep. eight yep. years. Yeah, that was seven. So it was five. So you spend three and a half years uh, doing theory, and then your last year and a half in the in the hospital as an yeah, intern. Yeah, well, so it's very much similar to like medicine yeah. in the sense of it, because because yeah. obviously Chinese medicine over here was like we were six months and you didn't do anything, and then you're in the student clinics, which have a lot to be desired, as we both know. <laughs> um, but that's pretty cool. But so you would have big mind load for the first three and a half years, and then just dived straight in. Yeah. Yeah. So the training, I mean, I think the pretty much TCM, I noticed the system that's taught Chinese medicine, that system is taught throughout the world is it's actually the curriculum is no different. Cause than, that's the, that's the rev that goes back to the revolution. That's when they yeah. decided that's yeah. the unit and which yeah. is Zheng Fu yeah. essentially. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So that's no different than what you learned in school, what anyone learned. So that, that program that you guys learn, everyone else, yeah. it's standard throughout the entire world. The only difference I would say studying in China was the the Western medicine element of it. Mm. Uh, you, we were required to do rotations in Western medicine, gynecology, rheumatology. That's awesome. that, That's good though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. And yeah. I imagine your patient list would have been a lot longer than our patient list in clinic because obviously over here it's still a growing foreign uh, concept to a lot of people. Chinese medicine over there, it's in, it's in their hospital systems, correct? So yeah. there would have been a lot more clients coming in. Yeah, yeah. Because I've seen pictures of like, I assume they use throwaways now, but when they use the reusable needles in the hospital and there's like the job of the intern was to steam and clean and sterilize and they've just got plates and plates and plates of these tungsten needles everywhere. Yeah. When I got there in 2003, they were still doing that. Toward the end when I left in 2012, they no one, yeah, it's single. Yeah, it's crazy. For the longest time they were doing. Hope the intern doesn't miss a plate. Uh, <laughs> yes. Or the power goes out while you're overnight while you're um Yeah, not there. Yeah. yeah autoclaving. <laughs> um you told me a funny story about your I don't know if it's one of your roommates roommate. You had a, a roommate that studied with you that used to just leave his needles all around on the floor. Uh he said he said he was practicing, he's like, I'll just use this one. Was that do you remember that story? I don't remember that story. That's all right. No. That's all right. I, I, I remember because you, you, t- you told me about five stories in uni and, and this one was uh, you telling me how, because we we're talking about the single use and, I, and and how they're sterile and like once we're open, if we don't use them, we throw them out and you go, your your roommate took it a whole other level. He would have like needles just that he's used oh, on the ground no, or no, on the okay, table. Okay. okay, okay. I remember now. Yeah, I had a classmate. Okay, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, I remember I had a classmate. He was, um, and I won't say his name, but he... We're studying needling technique, and I think he was needling himself. And I think he just, yeah, he just reused a needle one night. Yeah. And it, it got infected. Yeah. And he had this huge abscess. I think it was on his arm or his leg or somewhere. And it was like, they were like, you need to go to the hospital. You're going to die. <laughs> so they gave him antibiotics right away, and had that cleared up. But Yeah. No, we, we, so infection control is a real thing. Yeah, it's not that's something why we, we don't ignore. reuse the needles. <laughs> Well, you don't really think that things would happen. Like you think, oh, no. it's just a needle. And then like, and then the reality of it, oh yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, it doesn't take much. Especially in China, because in Southern China, it's very humid and moist and it's a bacteria. breeding ground for bacteria. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, and you met your wife while you were in uni or post-grad in China? I met my wife in China. Yeah. So we were, because um, in China, there's a lot of expat events and parties and things and I was going out with a girl we recently broke up and I just met her and the funny thing is I was actually not interested in her when I first met her oh she's what she hears this oh, <laughs> she won't be listening she's, she's got two kids she's too busy to listen. <laughs> she, she hadn't 
Okay, um, that part of the highlight reel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's another funny story. So pretty much um, my friend was going out with this girl and I was like, do you, and he was like, oh, do you want to go to this party? And I was like, okay, I'll go, but I don't want to go by myself. So I pretty much lied to this chick and I was like, hey, do you want to go to this party with me? I'm meeting my friends there and obviously I have no friends there. <laughs> so we show up and she's like, where's your friends? I'm like, oh, they're coming, they're on their way. And then, and then like five minutes later, she starts getting suspicious. She's like, well, where's your friends? I'm like, oh, they're just right over there. You know? like, <laughs> turned over to the first two girls I see. And I just went over and said, hey, good to see you again. They're like, who are you? I don't know you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I must have mistaken you for my other friend. Okay, well, this is my friend, Marion. This is, um, and, and you are? So we started talking. And then um, the girl that, Ended up being my wife. Oh, there you go. The girl that I pretended not to fate, know actually fate, ended. fated. Yeah, <laughs> the so, girl. And your wife uh, is Korean. Korean, South yep, Korean. Just yeah. don't want to get yelled at for it later. No, no, no. <laughs> she, she's South Korean. Yeah, we've been to the airports uh, before. And it's really funny. I don't know. I just feel like Australians are a lot more educated than Americans. Like when she visited Chicago um, before my dad passed away, the the checkout lady at the counter, she was like, oh, you're from Korea. Is that North or South? And we kind of like looked at each other like, there's no way she could be from North Korea. They don't <laughs> yeah. make more than yeah. she, she wouldn't be going back anywhere else. She yeah. would be hiding still. She <laughs> wouldn't be going back to North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely uh, from, I guess, what we get to see, two different worlds. One's, one's technologically advanced and fantastic. The other one's just depression. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, so you met her in China and, um, how long, how long did you go back to Chicago before, or did you stay in China longer? Like what happened after you graduated? Um, well, the original game plan was to study Chinese medicine in China, graduate, yep. go, go back to Chicago with dad. Yep. And just work, work under his wings. Sort of expand yep. and things. But a year before I was supposed to graduate, he got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, like things like when you are a practitioner he, he was just like he, he was old school very stubborn yep and he had this niggling cough yeah and the funny thing is he was like oh well you know, i'll just fix it he just make some herbs for himself yeah right and he and then the cough would come and it would go again make more herbs go again and he was just my mom's like just go get an x-ray yeah like, no no, no, no I'm, I'm i can fix this and he was just so stubborn about it so this went on for like years and one day he just woke up one morning and he couldn't move. Like literally like the cancer ate through his spine Yeah, and he didn't know what was going on. So he like literally crawled through the bedroom to, to call an ambulance, went to the hospital. They're like, okay, took an x-ray. They're like, boom, you know, something ate through your spine. We don't know what. Yeah. And then they ended up doing surgery and then he had chest x-ray. They're like, oh, well this could be tuberculosis. So they put him in quarantine for two weeks. They're like, oh, like what's going on with dad? Like he's the healthiest guy. No, yeah. aside from the cough. Was he a smoker? He was. Yeah. He was. So, so. it wasn't moxa. No, it Because I know that became a sort of a thing in some of the clinics in yeah. China is like a long-term moxa over yeah. the yeah. smoke rooms. Yeah. So if you grew up in China anytime during the cultural revolution, during that whole, those three, four decades, yeah. 99% chance, 99% of the men smoked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everyone smoked yeah. pretty much. So he quit when I was born. Yeah, but I don't know. I'd, every once in a while, I'd see him smoke here and there. But he, but the majority of smoking was during his younger years. So his lungs started to fill up with fluid, and yeah. they thought it's tuberculosis. They quarantined him for two weeks, and then uh, they they took a biopsy, and they came back, and they came back stage four lung cancer. Yeah. So that kind of rocked my world. It's kind of like, okay, well, this wasn't part of the plan. No. <laughs> so he did the chemo, did the radiation. It was just like god awful. So he. I mean, there's some points where he literally just said, give me a gun. I want to kill myself, you know? Yeah. So after he passed away, I was like, all right, well, I don't know, really know what to do. But the game plan was to work with him, expand, get a clinic, um, build on that. Yeah. And and that's how we ended up in Australia because, I mean, the things, things happen for a reason, right? Yeah. So we ended up just deciding, okay, well, we don't have to go back to Chicago. And she's like, well, Korea is not an option because I don't speak Korean. Yeah. And she's like, well, okay, let's go somewhere. And that's where the idea of Australia came. It was suggestion of a classmate. He's like, well, why don't you just go to Australia? You know, we'll open up clinics there or whatever. And it, it was, I was actually four of us, um, four classmates I had. They're like, oh, you know, one guy was like a jujitsu guy. Yeah. One guy was a, a import-export guy. Another guy was like um, 
uh, a guy from Canada. They were like, oh, let's go open up a clinic together yeah. in Australia. And, and ironically, I'm the only one that, <laughs> I'm the only one that is practicing right now. <laughs> um, so you came to Brisbane 2004, 13, was it? 2013. Yeah, 2013. July, 28th. Yeah. I remember. So, so if you came through two years earlier, you could have just ticked and flicked the box and you would have had your Chinese medicine practitioner thing, but you came in post-2012. So this meant you had to go back and do a few things at uni again, wasn't it? Did I did. You, yeah. Did The funny thing is before I was your lecturer, I was a student at Endeavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I applied and the whole process on the website, it says six to eight weeks. Yep. So I budgeted for six to eight weeks before I started working. The reality of it is it took a year and a half to get it all, the whole process well, sorted. Welcome to Australia. We're, we're laid back and relaxed about everything. <laughs> I, think, I think I came at a weird time when APRA was just starting it, it, to set up. It, yeah, so 2012, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was that's the year they go, we can't keep having people come over and saying they practice Chinese medicine because that, yeah. was, that was the main problem is that a lot of um, people were coming over and just saying they'll a Chinese medicine doctor or practitioner and right. there was no, no, no there was nothing in process and then uh, people were doing advanced diplomas and people were doing postgrads so no one was doing a a, a thing right it was just you t you fit a box this is the box yeah. you know you have grandmas coming over that just probably used to cup their kids for fun and they're like I'll do this because I can you know translate the herbs and, yeah. and things like that um, so 2012 they had a grandparent program I'm not sure for how long it went for but that was allowed you to without doing the undergrad um, pass a few tests or add a few things and you can you can practice or if you're previously registered practitioner beforehand you can practice so um you you just had you had to do the business one was it and I did and one other thing was it uh, I had to do how to establish and manage a practice the worst the worst subject and I challenged them on that one and it just got me in a whole lot of trouble but anyway that's a different story different, <laughs> different podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, was that the only one? The guy that that has an economics degree had to do establish and manage the practice. Well, basically, what they did is they did an audit of all my coursework yep. I did in China and all the clinic hours and everything. So that ticked all the boxes. Yep. And the funny thing is when I because we live close to CBD and we just walked up to the APRA office and we gave them yeah um, the application and everything and they actually forgot to process our payment because we paid cash. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you didn't pay. Like, no, I paid cash. Here's the receipt. So, yeah. And then they looked at my credentials and they and the transcripts were translated into Chinese. They looked at and they're like, and then you could tell like she didn't know what she was looking at. Like yeah. The girl yeah. <laughs> and she called another girl over. They both looked at each other and kind of shrugged yeah. their shoulders. Okay, stamp. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the beginning of like this one, a year and a half ordeal of planning to work, but not having, yeah, <laughs> not even able to work. So... Um, but the APRA process was just the beginning, actually. The visa to stay in Australia, well, that was the real struggle. That was um, probably about a six, seven-year struggle. Six yeah. years. Six years. Yeah. So, do you want to um, – so, when I – I think I started studying in 2015, and I think you were my lecturer second semester. I mm -hmm. think it was the CMAC one, the practical one, mm -hmm. where we did, like, uh, some distal stuff and cupping mm -hmm. and all those sort of things. And I, I think that's when you first told me about – the process you're going through for applications. So do you want to talk me through or talk the people through um, deciding to go for the Australian visa? How does that work? Like how did you? Oh, that's a very complicated, convoluted um, process. It's, it's, it's definitely not easy. Yep. Uh, and it's probably 10 times, a hundred times more harder than I originally thought it was. Yep. So originally when we got here, we came under a student visa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just had my wife study English so to get to get into the country. And eventually we met an immigration agent. He said, well, okay, here are your options. So you're an acupuncturist. You, what you can do is you can either get sponsored through a clinic. Yeah, and that's um, $10,000, uh, I think, for the sponsor to, to sponsor you in. That, it's... Oh, that, that actually is a bunch of other paperwork. So yeah. you have to pay the minimum salary and then you also have to pay the super. Yeah. And, and, and then they got to give, cause we had a, yeah. um, a guy that run a coffee shop. He had two exceptional uh, Indian immigrants that worked for him mm. for like half a decade. And it was getting to the point you can't get another visa. You have to decide what you're doing sort of thing. And he sponsored both of them. So okay. that to go home, do some paperwork, come back, 
and then he has to pay ten thousand dollars Australian government, and that's his sponsorship for yeah. them. And I think it's then four years before they can apply for citizenship. But but yeah. it's very different. Yeah. It's different every year. Yeah, yeah the depends fees. to how much money they want, I guess. The fees were about eight thousand for yep. yeah, roughly eight thousand for me and my wife, two kids. And then didn't you tell me when you had another kid, it was more fees? Oh yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's an interesting. I mean, technically, that I guess that does make sense because when my daughter was born, the agent called me. He's like, "Oh, you need to get her registered because she's literally an illegal immigrant." Like, <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. She's an illegal immigrant. You have to register, even, even though she's born here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so it took you five years to get to the point where you 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 are now with uh, this so this process. So, what's the back and forth with it for people listening? Um, so you, depending, I mean, I, I don't know how helpful this said, not advice, but my experience is now, cause I was, yeah. this is dating back to 2013, yeah. 2014. But when I was going through the process, we did, um, a self-sponsor visa yep. and I, unless you have money to burn, I don't advise anyone doing a self-sponsor visa. I don't even know if they exist anymore, yeah. but pretty much I had to sponsor myself, meaning because obviously there was no clinics. I mean, in the acupuncture industry, I mean, most clinics can't even spot, can't even keep themselves afloat. Yeah, that's another podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> but I, so I pretty much had um, to sponsor myself and it, it, it was a huge undertaking because I had no business experience. I had no experience in marketing. I didn't really know how to do a clinic um, and I was fresh out of school with not a lot of experience. So the self-sponsor visa required you to have a turnover at least 100K per year and then you'd have to hire employees yep. which is crazy because you can't even afford to pay your own yeah so i had to pay for that and then you had to pay uh, additional fees and trainings as well and i actually missed the mark um for permanent residency for about i missed it by 30 grand or something like that yeah. which i guess it was it's not bad considering you have no experience yeah and yeah definitely <laughs> but but they're the government's not looking at whether you whatever here's you the try line. yeah you here's the line. Line. yeah you got to get yeah. past it so uh i was actually and this took about three four years and then like i was just got to the point where like okay it's probably not going to happen just get ready to move back home start over live in my mom's basement yeah with the kids yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um the, the the health food shop that i was working at they said well okay well we can sponsor you yeah so um the, that process itself is when someone sponsors you you need to justify why you're sponsoring that person. You yep. need to show their financials for the last two years. Yeah. And it has to show that you're growing and why do you need this person? Yeah. So that's pretty much how we did it. So, and do you want to give him a shout out? Who's the, health? Oh, Vive Health. Yeah. Vive Health. Are these yeah. Uh, near Hawthorne, yeah. correct? Yeah. 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 Great little spot. Yeah. It's a great spot. So they sponsored me and, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that was pretty much, God's how same. God's yeah. Same. Yeah. yeah, well. Yeah. And I'm still there now because we work really closely together. So we have a lot of traffic. A lot of my patients shop at the health food store. Yep. Um, and they refer a lot. So it's a lot. It's, it, yeah. So, so it's a, it's a gen, sounds like a genuine thing. Oh, definitely. So, so you genuinely offered value to them. And oh, definitely. obviously it helps that you're not an asshole, Bob. But I would say, I mean, I mean, like, Going through it was very traumatic. I hated it. I was very emotional throughout the entire time. But at the same time, like I think people always say America is the best planet, country on the planet. I definitely think Australia. I feel, I feel like Americans say that. Yeah. <laughs> like, Americans just say that. Yeah, yeah. We, like, we, we watch America and we're like, oh, I'm just going to stop counting how many uh, yeah. shootings you guys have now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's yeah, an no, American thing. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I honestly, I think Australia is the best country on the planet. Like from my personal experience, like this is one man's opinion. Like I've been around the planet for 38 years. Like I think Australia is the best for me at least. Um, and I was going to say, so, so with the, the, is this the citizenship January next year? Is that? We're applying for citizenship now. Yep. So after you get your residency, I think within a year or two years, you can apply. That's pretty exciting. Oh, it's exciting. That yeah. means you have to drop a citizenship for a country. My wife does because South Korea doesn't recognize dual citizenship. Yeah. But um, so you don't America have does. you don't have dual citizenship for Hong Kong, America. No, okay. no, I never had. I, I never guess had. it doesn't matter as much now, does it? As well, so I never had um, citizenship. In China. Yeah, yeah, cool. Except well, for that go. one time, I had a fake driver. <laughs> <laughs> don't go back there now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that, that's exciting. Um, so, so now you have a multi training clinic at Hawthorne. Um, and so do you want to touch on, so, so I think this is a pretty c cool story because it's, you've gone from having essentially no fucking idea what you wanted to do. 
you went and did an econ- economics degree, you went and dabbled in martial arts and um, Chinese medicine, and then you went full into it. And now you have a successful clinic, which I think is a real good story for people that you don't need to know what you're doing at 20 sort of thing yeah. to figure out your life. Um, so you practice um, an array of different styles of Chinese medicine. Uh, there's a few I know that's close to heart. Do you want to talk about the the ones that you like to practice the most? Uh, in terms of acupuncture or conditions? Yeah. or Acupuncture, anything? yeah, yeah. Because I think people still think that it's just – it's a forever struggle that we just randomly put needles in places and magic mm. happens. So you, I, I know scalp um, one's close to home for you and, and you like also doing distal as well. So mm-hmm. do you want to talk through those and explain to people how you can use them in a clinic? Sure, sure. So pretty much when I graduated school, I literally, and most people do, I literally had no idea what I was doing. So what you learn in school is the basic foundations. JBCs. Yep. JBCs, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. And I found that I wasn't getting that many results, uh, that good results. It was like very up and down, like 50, 50, which I mean, when you compare it to Western medicine, like probably is a good day because, yeah. you know, antibiotics can only do so much after a while. They're just like, okay, well here's painkillers. So, yeah. But for me uh, to, to run a business and a clinic and get results for my patients, I felt like, Oh, it's 50, 50. That's probably, that's not it, good enough. It right? makes you feel uncomfortable. So yeah. Like you want to back yourself a hundred percent. And if yeah. you, you, you sort of feel like you're backing yourself 50%, right? Yeah. And the first clinic I worked at when I came to Australia, there was a guy named Jason. And we pretty much would have our like, kind of like a starter kit patients. Like the, the, the clinic manager would give us three patients each. Yep. So my patients would be like three, numbers would be like three and then six and then five and then back to three again. They were never stable. I would never see enough patients because uh, that's actually one of the drawbacks to training in China because- I never had to do any marketing. I never learned marketing. There was, there was no so need. many yeah, leads. Like, I was trained to get rid of patients as fast yeah. as possible, get them in, get them out as fast as possible. Whether it worked or it didn't work, it doesn't matter because you have a hundred more coming yeah. the next day. So when you put me in an environment where it was exact opposite of you're responsible for retaining patients, but not to keep, not to milk them, but to make sure they get the result that they're Correct. looking for. Yeah. Educate um, them. Yeah, yeah. Educate them as well. But my other work colleague, Jason, he was doing distal acupuncture where we don't needle directly onto the sp- site of pain. He was like, he started with three patients and the next week it was six, eight, yeah. 18, 30. I'm like, dude, what kind of magic are you spitting? Like, what is this? <laughs> and, and he's like, oh, well, okay, well, okay, check out. And I flipped through his notes. He showed me like, okay, these are the points. I'm like, what is this stuff? I've never even heard of. Like I studied Chinese. I don't even know what these names are. What are you doing? And he said, oh, check out the seminar. It's happening in Melbourne. Uh, it's called uh, Dr. Tan Balance Method. Come with me. You won't regret it. Check it out. And I went there and it was it was like, oh, wow, this is this is amazing. This is a game changer. Like it was you would see instant results with acupuncture immediately, yeah. not the next day, not the six, six treatments later. Like you literally yeah. see it like within minutes. And that was a game changer for me because it was like, oh, wow, this is acupuncture can really do like you can really do that. And that was one of the main things like I didn't understand um, when I was studying in China even. So what was being taught in the books, the classics, was not being used in the Chinese medicine setting in the hospitals. And this is part of the revolution again, correct? Yes. Because that's when they decided. And and I think contextually, if if, correct me if I'm wrong, but Zhang Fu is originally herb-based sort of Chinese medicine, which is for anyone that – doesn't practice Chinese medicine when you really like working like with um, the channels or tween massage, um, which I do a lot of, or, or needling is that's more about channels and pain and, and mirrors and stuff like that. Where Zeng Fu's organ to, to channel and it's sort of, it feels awkward sometimes to, to line it up with a needle. So I would say the best comparison would be, it'd be like if you were to say internal medicine was pharmacy and then surgery it'd be like yeah. it'd be like the the programs that are being taught throughout the world now think of it this way think of a, a pharmacist training surgeons what to do yeah yeah and that's exactly what we have here like yeah. we have the herbalist telling the acupuncturist what to do yeah and in china they're two separate things like and, they, and, they, and rightfully so yeah <laughs> yeah well, yeah i mean given the outcome isn't death you know if you yeah. have if you, if you screw up a surgery someone's gonna die or yeah. become yeah. a quadriplegic like uh, with acupuncture, you know, the, the herbalist designed the acupuncture programs that are being taught throughout the world. Yeah. So that's why you're getting these subpar clinical trials, you're getting these subpar results. Yeah. But, you know, if you go to any clinic, my clinic, whoever, whoever uses 
this acupuncture system, yeah. you'll get results at least 73% of the time. Yeah. And uh, I, in my clinic, at least. I think, um, and I think Zeng Fu is a, a good system for herbs, but I, I use Zeng Fu for lifestyle choices because yep. that reflects on internal, but I don't use it ever for my treatment of acupuncture because it just, it's just odd. Yeah. It's um, correct for, for um, allergies, yep. uh, internal things. Um, yeah. Manifestations. Yeah. 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 Like gyne pain, things like yeah. that. That'll, I mean, that's definitely what you need to be doing. But yeah. Again, it's that pharmacist telling the surgeon, training the surgeon. Yeah, yeah do the knee replacement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that's that's one of them. And, and the other one, uh, you told me about the scalp because you're quite, um, I guess, physically and, and and mentally invested in the scalp acupuncture for a while. Um, so you want me to tell you about tell about the teacher um, that that you did the seminars and stuff with in Australia. And I think you went to did you go to Singapore a few years ago for it? Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah, I went yeah, to yeah. Malaysia. I was I had this two year obsession with scalp acupuncture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, I think it's really impressive and, and I like scalp because it's you can you can sort of it's easy to cross over to translate to Western with, with the nerves and the way the brain works. But do you wanna talk talk through that a little bit? Yeah, that was very interesting. I first um so the guy the, the acupuncture scalp system that I'm studying is uh Dr. Zhu, Zhu Ming Ting. And I actually saw him on YouTube like ten years ago and uh, it was a video uh, of this guy and he just had a stroke and then he, he was, he got wheeled in and then the guy, Dr. Zhu, he just does the scalp acupuncture, yeah. does some manipulations, whatever. And then all of a sudden he's like, he tells the guy to stand and the guy in the wheelchair is like, what are you talking about to stand? I, I, can't, I haven't stood up in two years, you know, like I can't stand. And he's like, no, just give it a try. So he stabilized the waist and everything. And he told him to stand. He actually, all of a sudden he stood up yeah. and like everyone's in the rooms crying and you're really happy and everything. I was like, oh my God, what is this stuff? I got to learn it. <laughs> yeah. And I put it in the back of my mind. I was like, okay, but you know, like Chinese people, they usually don't share their secrets. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was like, oh, this guy is probably some kind of YouTube gimmick. I'm not going to like, he's, even if I could be in the same room with this guy. He's he, not going to show me how to do it. He'll tell you the 50% sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, fast forward, I don't know, like 10, 10 years later, he, he's actually doing a seminar and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. So I showed up, uh, learned it, and I did a couple of the seminars and um, basically how the scalp acupuncture works is it it works along the scalp and because the brain literally is the control center, controls yeah. everything. Yeah. So by stimulating the brain, you can control different parts of the body. So for stroke, uh, he's known for mostly stroke, but actually scalp acupuncture can treat many, many different things. Yeah. Uh, the f For some reason, I think the way marketing or the way it's perceived is it only works for stroke. It works for a lot of other yeah. things. It's good well. for, for pain, I've noticed mm -hmm. as well. Because um, you did a video of, um, uh, was it Sue's house? Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl, um, she had a condition and she was walking on crutches and you guys, he did a treatment. You record it, I think, on the day. Yeah. And she walked significant, like not perfect. Like, don't, I don't think that anyone, it's not a, it's not a miracle cure, but yeah. it, it, it makes things better and increases. And this girl got up and walked unassisted without her canes from the room she was treated into the next room at the seminar, which I think is really impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I've, been, I've been using it for about, two, three years now. And I found the best results are when kind of more mild, uh, mild stroke. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause a lot of times uh, mild stroke and actually post-concussion. Yep. So I've treated about four, three to four cases of post-concussion and those results have been really good. Yep. Um, basically the brain is control center. So you literally can't yep. massage the brain, but the most direct pathway to the brain is through the scalp. So yep. by, through stimulating the scalp, kind of wakes up the part of the brain that's been dead or doesn't have enough blood flow in yeah. a nutshell pretty much. And that's pretty much how it works. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, uh, so with your clinic, so you, you use a combination of all these things, it's case presenting case treatment. Yes. And, and I think that's important that, um, clinicians identify that is that we don't have a generic treatment method. So everyone walks in, is not going to get the exact same needling. You're going to, how do you, yes. how do you diagnose in your clinic? Or not? So let me sorry. Let me rephrase that because mm -hmm. we're not allowed to diagnose. How do you uh, analyze how you're going to treat a condition in your clinic? What are the steps? Like some people do pulse, some people do tongue, mm. some people look at them, some people touch auras. You know, yeah. there's spin crystals. There's all different yeah. methods. What yeah. what what's your like sort of your yeah. standard go through for if I'm first day in Bob's clinic and I've got. Yeah a sore shoulder and yeah. pain in my lower back. What are, what's the sort of what methodology you go through? Right. Okay. That's a very good question. So basically how our clinic works is uh, every patient goes through the exact same process. We schedule the new patients in for an initial exam. Mm -hmm. uh, what we do is we go over the 
full health history mm -hmm. and determine one, if we can help them or mm -hmm. two, if we need to refer out. Mm -hmm. So during that initial exam, what we do is we do orthopedic testing, we yep. make, um, do blood pressure, make sure everything's okay. We weigh them and just do range of motion, say something for like shoulder pain. Okay. Something, if you have numbness and you know, something doesn't seem right, I obviously refer them out. Yep. Uh, if there, it is something that we think we maybe have can help or we've had success treating prior, I, I will tell them, okay, I think I can help you yep. give this three treatments to see one, if it helps Two, how long does it help for within three treatments, three to six treatments. And I'm pretty transparent, pretty straight up. Like uh, we're, we're getting progress or yeah. we need to, yeah. you need to do something different. Yeah. yeah. So within three to six treatments, if there's no response from the patient, I tell them, okay, this probably isn't going to work. And I just refer them out or let them go. Yep. Uh, if yeah. there is a response, if there's, if they do see improvement, then we go forward and I suggest a treatment plan of either twice a week for four weeks or eight weeks. And then we go from there. Yeah. And that, and that's something that I think it's, it's hard to educate people about is, um, because they're so used to, you take a tablet, your pain goes away when in reality, all you're doing is making so later on that tablet's going to be less effective. Um, or you get a surgery and your problems fixed, but you create other rare problems. It's, it's the way things are in people's head is frequency and I don't like using it, but aggression of a treatment mm. are really going to dictate how long someone has to come on the table. Uh, where you mentioned two times a week for four weeks uh, or eight weeks or whatever it might be is some people are like, oh, I'll come back in a month. And those people don't understand that they're going to be coming back in a month for the rest of their life because they're just going to ebb and flow yep. their outcome. It's like I'm going to do a sit-up once a week uh, and have a strong core in 17 years. Like that, that's sort of what they look at. So yeah. I think it's really good that you go through that process and, and educate them because that's a really missed part. Um, so where is, uh, um, what, what is the name of your clinic? Like what do you, is it just go the name of the place you're at or is it, do you have a name for your clinic? So the name of the clinic I'm at is Art of Acupuncture Brisbane. Yep. So we're right directly behind Vive Health Store. So yep. the front is the health food shop and then we work in the back. Yeah, I don't think I ever put the two together. I was like, what is the name of it? Um, yeah. So where is Art of Acupuncture? So Art of Acupuncture is, is, is also got some amazing photography and artwork um, that you can check out uh, on his Instagram. I'll put that in the description as well. Um, but where's the plan to go? So you've come so, so, so far, literally, yep. physically, yeah, emotionally, mentally, financially, all these things. Like it's been a big journey, almost 20 years. Yeah. Um, not, not making you feel old at all, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where, where's the plan to go? Where are you going to take Art of Acupuncture? The next next time you sit down on this couch in like three years, where are you going to be? Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm working with my mentor. Um, I've, I, and we're working out. Is this different... Jim, Jimmy? Jimmy. Jimmy. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to Jimmy Yen. <laughs> There you go. Lots of shout outs. So I think, I think majority, I wouldn't call myself successful. I'm, I'm trying to be successful. Uh, I would say majority of the successes that I have had is I've been fortunate enough to find the right mentors. Yep. So first when Jason introduced me to Dr. Tan, yep. um, and that really changed my results. And because if you can't get results, you're not going to build a clinic. That's yep. the first thing. hundred percent. But the second thing is back to what you're saying about the educating your patients and building the right um, clinics, having the right systems. And that was for, through Jimmy Yen as yep. well. So he was able to mentor me through literally when I was on the verge of moving back to Chicago. He's like, okay, if you trust me, trust in my process, I'll take you through this. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. And again, nothing to lose. So yeah. I just hopped on a weekly call with him um, and he just walked me through the process, explained to me how his clinic works and uh, different systems and how he educates his patients. And it's all communication pretty much. hundred percent. Just like a marriage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's all about being upfront and transparent yeah. as well. Like if you don't think you can help a patient, don't keep them around. Like, or if you think this is a better treatment for them, send them that way. And, and that's the thing. Cause people are going to value more if you say, I can't help you, but hmm. these are all the other things I can do. And they're going to go, Hey, he said he couldn't help me, but go see him. He can do this. He was a really nice guy. Like it's going to, yeah. it's going to embed in someone's head a lot better being honest rather than pretending. Yeah. So, I've actually had patients refer like three other people when I told them, I'm sorry, I can't help you, but they sent other people yeah, my yeah. way, which is like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's just doing the right thing by them really. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So three years, three years. Yeah. So I would say right now I'm trying to expand. Yeah. Um, we're currently hiring and looking for a reception. I'm looking to hire my first acupuncture associate within the next six months to a year. Yeah. Probably have two or three, have a reception. I'm trying to build a team. Yeah. So I don't work myself to death. So yeah. unfortunately. It's an easy trap. Yes. <laughs> it's an easy trap. Well, when you're first starting out, you don't think that way. You think yeah. like, I remember when I first started, 
uh, I was working at a clinic and one of the practitioners was seeing six patients a day. And I was like, oh my God, if I had, if I could see six patients a day, I'd be like, I'd be in heaven. Like that'd, yeah. be, that'd be like my goal for the next year. I'd be so happy. Now it's like six patients, like a nap, you know? Yeah, like, it's just quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Six, six patients is quiet, right? Yeah. Like six patients for me is considered failing. Yeah. So I want to grow it as much as I can. I want to expand the space um, and probably take a step back from needling all the time into just more of a managerial role and liaising. And I never saw myself growing, but then um, again, like from my mentor, he's like, well, you can't help that many people if it's only limited to one. Yeah. So if you're doing one, if it's just you needling all day, you're actually being selfish. You're yeah. not. And eventually you're going to burn out. Yeah. It's not really your true potential. Like your true potential lies on the impact that you can leave yeah. behind. And I've realized, like, oh, that's that's kind of true. Okay, yeah. well, and now it's time to start hiring. Before, I was like, I'd like... What if they steal my patients? What if they steal my ideas? Like, all those sort of things yeah. go through your head, right? But yeah. having a fleet of mini bobs... Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a lot better. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's just making a bigger impact in the world because there's so many people out there that are suffering. Yeah, and, and they still see a physio once a fortnight for a year with no change because that's what we're educated to do. Not against physios because they do do a great job but yeah. that's the sort of the mindset we get given is i've got an injury oh i need a scan oh, i need surgery yeah. oh yeah. it's not better but it's better yeah. i'll just live with this and it's not the case yeah. well physio is great my brother's a physio he's yeah. the golden child so he's <laughs> <laughs> so um i think everything has a time and a place like if you yeah. have an infection definitely you need antibiotics yeah don't you have a, don't come into us if yeah you, if you've got if gangrene you've, toe please go to yeah, yeah gunshot wound you got shot in the south side <laughs> chicago go the yeah, you know, can't go, acupuncture go, that yeah. way no so, um that that's that's amazing that's a really good story um and i think it's uh i think it's good for you to sometimes also reflect where you said that six would be a failure but i don't i think that's subjective in the context of where you are now yeah um i think six patients living in brisbane with two beautiful kids, a wife. Yeah, of course. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's pretty successful, yeah, that's even though it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I thank you for sharing, Bob. I appreciate you coming in today. Um, and I look forward to sitting down with you in three years and hearing about your conglomerate of clinics up the East Coast of Australia. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very right, much. Thanks for having me, Chad. Pleasure.